It's a great joy this morning that I have actually being able to open up God's word uh, with you. Um, for the last couple of months uh, as, a, as a ministry, you've been walking through the book of 1 John. But today, as we enter into our Advent series, as, as Jordan uh, mentioned a moment ago, and as you see those, those candles right there, and you, you've opened up all the chocolates so far uh, this month, right? Uh, some of you. Um, and, uh, and so we're in this series, this time called Advent, where we're waiting and we're expecting. We're remembering what Jesus has done, how he was born, and we're longing for, as Jordan said, the day when he will come back. And so to do that, we're entering into a series called Songs for a Savior. Uh, and I don't know about you, I really love songs. Um, specifically, I love singing them at random and making them up at a moment's notice about whatever it is that I'm walking through. Um, I don't really like to listen to other people singing songs on the radio or things like that. It's kind of odd. I just like to sing and make up random songs. And so if you've hung out with me at all, I, I sometimes I just break into random songs. Uh, this morning on the drive here, we were talking about two friends of ours that are dating and I broke into High School Musical because um, we're all in this together trying to get them dating. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm someone who's, who's quick to sing songs. I love songs. Songs. And, and I love this time of year uh, because there are people around us that all just seem to be singing. So people that normatively, they're a little crotchety, uh, for a better sense of the word. This time of year, they're a little bit more joyful and hopeful. Uh, and so this is one of my favorite times of the year. People are just more excited about things. They're buying gifts. They're excited. There's music all around. And you just hear them singing it uh, or, or you're driving down the road and you see them in their cars because they think no one can see them and they're singing loudly and you can tell they're, they're into it, uh, which I love because as even one of our most favorite Christmas movies say, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear, right? So uh, this is my favorite time of the year because I love singing. I love when people sing. I love to sing with them. Um, and so all around our house this, this Christmas season, we have, we have both our, our songs that are about a about Jesus, and, and we have those other songs, right? So uh, those other songs at my house right now, for some reason, our four-year-old loves the Grinch. Not, not necessarily his evil heart against Christmas, but just loves the Grinch. So he just walks around and acts all the time. Uh, if, if we could just play your mean one, Mr. Grinch. Uh, another favorite is um, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth but it's the Alvin and Chipmunks version. So you can only handle that so much. Uh, and, and then my, uh, my two-year-old, uh, he loves the song, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, but the only part that he knows, he, he's, he's almost two, he's very young. The only part that he really knows is he sees you when you're sleeping. And the only time that he sings it is when he's going down for nap time. And he's over and over again in his room. He sees you when you're sleeping. He sees you when you're, and that's all that he knows. Uh, and I'm like, no, go to sleep, man. Uh, and he, he doesn't. So uh, those, those songs, but then there's other types of songs. And this is the time of year when songs about Jesus, songs of a savior are all around us, aren't they? I mean, we're, we're in line at the Bay or we're in London Drug or Shoppers, almost everywhere we go, uh, every radio station imaginable or every one of those, you know, like generic seasonal holiday concerts that you have to go to, right? Can't say Christmas any longer, but that random seasonal one, there's songs even there uh, about Jesus. And the words that we hear about Jesus as we're, as, as we're around town, as we're in our cars, as we're at these seasonal things, all of them have these little, these little touches, these, these reminders of what this whole season is all about. And it's astounding. I, I was in London Drug this past week and, and, and I heard over the, the loud 
speaker, O come, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. And then I heard Pentatonic's version of go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And, and one that just floors me every time that I think about it, hark the herald angels sing. Uh, most of the time we only know verse one of that. And verse two and three, we're like, I don't even know what that says, right? Like most, most songs this time of the year. But verse two and three, I have them on the screen for you because I, I heard this in a store this past week and I'm just looking around like, is anyone hearing this? This is crazy. Uh, like, anyone pondering what is going on here? And, th- and this is what it says. Hark the herald angels sing. It says this, verse two and three, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, Behold him come, offspring of the favored one, veiled in flesh, the Godhead. See, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as men with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. See, in this song, along with many others, they're designed to point our attention to Jesus as the fulfillment, both of, of every promise of God for all of humanity, but also every longing of the human heart, especially during this season. And these songs are lovely and they're, and they're packed with beautiful reminders for our hearts. But sure, church, these songs, they, they pale in comparison to the beauty and the majesty of the songs that we have recorded for us in God's word. In his word, we, we have these songs of a savior that God has, has given us and has been preserved for thousands of years. And so for the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a few of these songs throughout the Bible that point us to Jesus. And as we do so, our aim is to worship him, the newborn king, with greater expectancy today. And as we just sang, this, this longing, this soon and very soon, our king is, is coming and so for the Christian, our hope is this, that just as he came in a baby in swaddling clothes in a manger, so too he will come again. And that's why we sing these songs. That's why we remind one another to remember collectively. And so we're going to open up God's words, what we just had read for us. Uh, so we'll be in Luke uh, chapter one. If you're newer to the Bible, uh, the Bible has two parts. It has an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament lays out for us all of the promises of God. Uh, it tells us uh, how God made all things, why we have this inner brokenness, and then begins to lay out promise after promise of how God will come and restore all that is broken and make it new. And then the New Testament See what I did there? Uh, The New Testament uh, is all about how this promised son comes, fulfilling every promise of God, every longing of the human heart. And in so doing, we see uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so that's where we're at in the story. We're looking at uh, the birth of Jesus during this time of the year. So we'll be in the book of Luke. So turn with me in your Bibles or uh, swipe on your app. 
get there. Uh, We're going to be in chapter one, so big number one, uh, and we're going to be in verses 26 to 56. So we're going to go a little bit earlier than what we just had read for us a moment ago. Uh, And in these verses, we're going to see three big scenes. So the first scene that we'll see is we're going to see God's words through the angel telling us of who this Jesus will be, verses 26 to 38. And then we're gonna see God's word through Elizabeth, verses 39 to 45. And then we will see the song of a savior, verses 46 to 56, as a response to God's word and God's word, we have a song. So uh, we're gonna pray uh, and then we're gonna dive in, all right? Good, that's good, you're with me. All right, let's pray and then we'll dive in. So Father, we we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather together with your people and be encouraged through your word. We're thankful that you you gave us the Bible, your word, and that you speak to us through it. And we pray that as we open and study together this morning, that you would give us ears that can hear your word and minds that can comprehend it, hearts that are soft towards you and eyes and eyes that see you as faithful and true to your promises. Oh God, we're thankful. We're thankful that you are faithful. And we pray that as we read your word today, that you would be with us in a special way, sending your spirit to bring fresh conviction over sin, illuminating our need for Jesus, and giving us grace to turn to Jesus for forgiveness and restoration. Father, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to dive into our first section as we begin to look at God's word through the angel. So if you want to look at me, uh, look with me, uh, Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses uh, 26 to 38. And and specifically in this section, uh, we're going to focus on what we see about who is Jesus and about his mother, Mary. Uh, And for some of you, uh, what I love about walking through this is for some of you, this is brand new for you. Like this time last year, you were like, man, God who? Like, like all this is brand spanking new. Now you're like, man, now I love Jesus. Everything is radically different. Here I am at Christmas. I don't know what Advent is. I'm trying to feel this out, but here I am. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We're praising God for what he's done in your life this year. And so we want to open God's word and, and show you and, and teach you what, what happens at the birth of Jesus. And for some of you, you've been in and a part of churches for a long time. And my prayer for you is that as we open up today, that you would see that, that God is miraculous in his love and his affection and his faithfulness. And this God, if you are in Christ, is yours. And he's just as faithful to you. All right? All right, so uh, let's turn. So we're going to dive in. Uh, we're going to start by looking at verses 26 through 33. This is God's word. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin who's betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. 
And before we rush over these verses to get to Mary's response, we're gonna pause for a moment and consider all the phrases that we just had. If, if you're new to studying and reading the Bible, this, this is what I would, I would encourage you to do. If you're reading through and you're like, oh, I already know this text, read through and jot down everything that you can think of. What does this just tell me about who God is and what is going on? And as you do so, there's this, there's this treasure that awaits you in your thoughts of God that is beautiful. So let's, let's do that together. So first, what do we see from this? We see that God sends Gabriel, an angel, to announce this coming birth. This whole thing is God's idea. Next, we see that, that Jesus is to be born to this young woman named Mary, who's betrothed to a guy named Joseph. And, and betrothal is sort of a, of a unique thing in this time. It's, it's, sort, of, uh, it's sort of like a one-year marriage prep time uh, in, the, in, the, in the Jewish life uh, that every young Jewish couple went through. And here's how it worked. Legally, they were married. It's like they had already signed the papers and yet they're not, they're not consummating the marriage yet. They're not living together yet. They're in this one year period of, of waiting for that. So, so they're married. So it's kind of like, yes, but not, not fully yet. Uh, but in order to break it, there needed to be an actual legal divorce between them. And so this is just as if they are married, but they're not sleeping together and they're not living together yet. All right, so this is the situation that they're in. She is betrothed, this guy named Joseph. And this is the woman that, that the angel shows up to, that God sends word to. Next, we see that Mary is someone who found favor or, or grace before God. It's the word charis or grace. She was pursuing godliness and get this, God showed up and blessed her more than she could ever imagine. See, she was pursuing God. God was pursuing her. And this is what we have this beautiful picture of. And God shows up in astounding ways, promising these things to this young girl, who at this time is probably about 12 or 12 and a half. He promises these things to her. Next, we see that Mary's going to have a baby, and this boy is actually named by God. He's named Jesus, which means Jehovah, or the, the God of Israel, is salvation. So even Jesus' name tells us immediately something that God is up to. He is coming to save his people. Uh, next, we see that Jesus will be called great and will be called the son of the most high. So just as uh, the nation of Israel and her kings have been called the son of God throughout the Bible, so Jesus is called the son of God, which is highlighting his unique role as their king. And, and we'll see in a moment, and as the story kind of unfolds or unpacks throughout the book of Luke, we can read that Jesus, when using this phrase, the son of God, he takes it and extends it, referring to himself. And he, he extends it into more than just this kingly office, more than just he is the true and better Israel or the, or the, the king of Israel come, he extends it. In fact, he extends it to explain his unique relationship with God the Father, that he is equal with God the Father. An astounding claim as we read through the book of, of Luke. 
And then next along with this, we see God the Father will also give to Jesus the throne of David, who is the greatest king in Israel's history. See, David is mentioned twice in this section because God's promise to him in, in 2 Samuel chapter seven is that God would raise up someone in the line of David and, and this king would sit on David's throne for forever, that his kingdom would know no end. And this king would rule rightly. He would be a beacon of hope and light to the nations around. So if you wanted to see what God was like, you would look at Israel. You would look at this king. And in his kingship and his rule and his reign, you would see something beautiful about the God of Israel. Something you would see and you'd say, I want some of that. And you would come and you would hear of who is this God? So he says that he's going to be this kingly office. Which is, which is also really important because at this time, Israel is under Roman captivity. They're not ruling themselves. Someone else has dominated them and is ruling over them. And Israel's hope, her longing has been one day a king is coming. One day, someone will rule, one of us, we will rule over ourselves. We'll kick out all of those who are oppressing us. We will have freedom and liberation. It's this longing, this expectancy within their hearts. And God shows up and says, time's up. They have been waiting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And God is coming through. He has not forgotten them. Sure, church, that is good. He is a God who can be trusted. He comes through on his promises. They are gonna have liberation and salvation, finally. And it's gonna come through this, this baby. And then we see that Jesus will rule and reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. It is a permanent rule. And this is also miraculous and wonderful for Mary. I mean, I mean, put yourself in her place for a moment. See, her people have been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for this anointed king over the house of David to set up his kingdom and to rule. They've held on to that. Second Samuel chapter seven for over a thousand years. Their prophets have come. We have, we have them recorded for us in the Old Testament, like, like Isaiah Chapter 55 to 66, that's been this constant refrain and yearning of God's people ever since they were in captivity in Babylon. And now God's redeemer is coming to this virgin girl. God's king, the promised king, is coming to this virgin girl who is betrothed to a godly man named Joseph, who, get this, just so happens to be from the line of David. Isn't that great? Mary's not from the line of David. She's from a priestly family line. But, but Joseph, his family is from the Davidic line. And this angel shows up and says, he's coming through you. And yet, as we already mentioned, the only problem with this word from God is that it seems a little bit incomplete, doesn't it? I mean, Mary and Joseph, they, they weren't having any, you know, conjugal relations yet. So, 
So how would this baby come about? I mean, Mary knew her scriptures. She knew some of the things about biology as well. Uh, she, she remembered the story of, of God's faithfulness through the ages where he shows up to, to Abraham and to Sarah and he tells them they're gonna have a son and they wait decades and decades and decades. So is this a promise like that? Maybe one day the son is gonna come and it's gonna come after you and Joseph get married and you have a baby. That will be how this will come. Or like Isaac and Rebecca, where, where Rebecca is barren and Isaac prays for her that she would be able to have a baby and she has one. Praise God, because that's how the line continues all the way to where we get to Jesus, this, this overarching promise of God's salvation coming into the world. And God had this whole thing rigged. And so, so she doesn't know. So is this, are you saying this is gonna happen now? It's gonna happen in the future. How is this gonna happen? And, and for us, we're like, oh, well, we already know. We just had that thing read for us. We know. Mary doesn't know. She has no idea. This 12-year-old girl has no idea how God is going to be faithful to his, his promise. She believes him. She doesn't know how. And so she just, she just asks that question, not out of a lack of faith, but out of a, okay, how? right? Like, how is that going to work? And that's what she says. Verse 34, Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. That's not what she thought was going to happen. Right? Homegirl is like, what? And yet before, although there probably are a million questions running through her head, before she could say anything, she, she continues to hear God's word through the angel. He says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. And then verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And it's that line Sure, church, it's that line that stopped me dead in my tracks this week as I was studying through this. You ever just read a text so many times, you think, oh, I've got this. And you read something and you're like, what? Who put that in there? That's what happened to me this week. I'm walking through, I'm studying, and immediately my mind, my mind just races back to Abraham and Sarah. In the story of this promised baby that God told them will come in Genesis chapter 12 and 15. See, God had promised them a baby boy. And, and yet when they were waiting for the son that God promised to give them, what did they do? Did they wait on God's promise, trusting in him? No. No, they refused to wait as God was calling them to. And they thought, well, God, I'm gonna help God out. And Sarah said, here, take my servant Hagar, have a baby through that, that way, and that way we'll have a son. They exchanged what, what God told them would be how they would have a baby. And in so doing, they sinned against God, thinking God's ways don't make any sense. And later when God came and told them that although they had sinned against God, that they would still indeed have a child in their extremely old age. Sarah, hearing this promise from the mouth of God, she laughs. Not out of belief, not out of like, you know, you hear really good news and you're like, 
yeah, you know, like you're excited, not that kind of laughing, more of the laughing like anger, frustration, disbelief. I, it's not gonna happen. And God himself called her out on it, which would have been terrifying. And he called her to believe in his seemingly impossible promises. Let's listen to what he said. Genesis chapter 18, verses 13 and 14. It's not on the screen, but just hear God's word. God says, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too impossible for the Lord? Is anything too wondrous for the Lord? And then he says, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. And so when Gabriel is speaking forth God's word, I think he's intentionally been given these words to remind our sister Mary of Abraham and Sarah, to remind her to believe in the seemingly impossible, although you don't necessarily understand it. See, Mary knew her Bible. She knew the story of Abraham and Sarah and their faithfulness. And so when Gabriel said, for nothing will be impossible, with God, her mind would have also raced back to Sarah. And Mary, hearing the angels really maybe scary words for her, didn't understand all of it. And yet hearing that Elizabeth is, is also going to have a baby. And, and hearing the, the reminder of nothing's impossible with God knowing that in the midst of all of this, that, that she could lose everything for trusting and believing in the promise of God. I mean, Joseph could divorce her. She would be shamed publicly. This child would forever be seen as some illegitimate child from Mary's unfaithfulness. And, and yet even with her future security and provision unsure, she trusts God's word and his faithfulness, choosing to believe nothing is impossible with God. She says in verse 38, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then after the angel left, Mary decided to go spend some time with her older cousin, Elizabeth, whose husband, Zechariah, had heard from God that they in their old age would have a son as well, fulfilling God's promise to Israel that he would send a forerunner, one that would go before the Messiah and help make all things ready. And since the angel had just told Mary she wasn't alone, that God was also doing other miraculous things around them, she decided to go and spend a little bit of time with Elizabeth and Zachariah, knowing that if anyone else in this world would understand the miraculous things that God was doing, it would be them. So she makes the journey, probably took her three or four days of walking to get there. And she goes. So let's shift that scene then into the second of, of what we see in God's word given to us through Elizabeth, verses 39 to 45. Let's look at God's word. It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah. She greeted Elizabeth, and, and when Elizabeth heard 
the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, before we move on into what God's word was through Elizabeth, let's, let's highlight how God moved firstly within Elizabeth. So here's the scene. So Mary enters into the house and just greets Elizabeth. She simply says, hello. And when Elizabeth heard her voice, the baby within her leaped. Now, this is not Braxton Hicks, right? Like, this is not like I had a bad burrito, right? Like, like this is not what we're seeing here. This, this is the movement of, of God. Something miraculous happens here. The baby in her womb leaps for joy. He leaps to attention. And it reminds us, if you want to actually look back with me, uh, Luke 1, uh, Luke 1, 15, talking about this son that will come, it says, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So we see the work of God, the spirit in the life of John the Baptist from before he's even born. And what he's doing, he's signifying to Elizabeth, something miraculous is happening. He's pointing to Jesus even from before he leaves the womb. Crazy. This isn't just speculation as we're looking at the text. For we see in verse 41 that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit filled her. And for what purpose? Well, look with me at verses 42, verses 42 to 45. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So firstly, the work of God, the spirit in Elizabeth's life caused her to recognize that God had supremely blessed Mary. But not only that, did you notice? Did you notice that Elizabeth somehow knows supernaturally that Mary was pregnant? Here's a crazy situation, right? Mary walks in, hi, baby leaps, Elizabeth filled with the spirit, runs up to her, says these words of encouragement. God, the spirit gave Elizabeth these words. She, she's confirming to Mary that what happened to her is this work of God that cannot be contrived by man. It's beautiful. So first she comes and she blesses her. Then she confirms that God's word indeed is true, that she is pregnant with, look what Elizabeth says. My Lord, she calls Jesus, this baby, my Lord, which are not words that are said lightly. She's calling Jesus the Messiah, the long awaited for King over Israel. And then thirdly, Elizabeth miraculously knows that when Mary heard the news from the angel, that she believed God's word over and above what she could simply see with her eyes or understand with her mind. And Elizabeth knows all of these things. This is God the Spirit moving through Elizabeth and speaking and encouraging Mary through her. It's divinely designed to encourage Mary. And, and although Mary was at Elizabeth's house for a few months, all that we have recorded for us is this short little intro scene. Why? Because it highlights the fact that God is faithful to speak to his people, to give them his word 
to encourage them. And after hearing God's word through the angel and, and being encouraged by Elizabeth that Jesus would be the promised Messiah, the scripture now turns to Mary herself. And this is where the song of the Savior begins. Similar to how the book of the Psalms, which was read for us earlier, had those Psalms there written by God's people in light of all that we know to be true about God's character and the way he's moved among his people. There's responses to that. And so Mary here, she writes, it's one of the most beautiful songs in the Bible, recounting both God's amazing grace extended towards her personally, but it's also a reflection throughout human history to demonstrate that this has always been how God has loved and provided for his people and to spotlight that God is faithful to all of his promises. Not one of them will drop. So let's look at Mary's response to God. We started in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies or makes great the Lord. And we're gonna stop there because that could be confusing. I, I've heard it explained this way, that there's kind of two different ways of, of magnifying. There's, there's kind of the grade 10 biology way of magnifying you remember those machines you had to like plug in, you put a little thing on a little glass thing and there's like flip it on, there's a light and you like look down and you have to make notes and you don't get it right. And your biology teacher's like, nope, you missed that one. That's a mitochondria. And you're like, I, I don't know, man. Uh, right, there's that way of magnifying something. You take something really little and you make it really big so that you can see it and take note of it. And there's another way of magnifying something. Um, there's, there's like, when you go to an observatory and there's this massive telescopes, right? They're huge and they let light in through one of the first lenses. And then the second lens, it, it magnifies it so that you can see it. So you take something like the night sky and you, you magnify this little part of it. You, you take this vastness, greatness, and you try to understand just an inkling of it. And friends, that's what I think is happening more here. I don't think that when we see Mary magnifying God, she's taking some tiny, pathetic, puny little God with no power, right? Grade 10 biology, making it, oh, look, God is great. Look how, look how, fit on this little glass thing. No, no, she, she's looking at the, the vastness of God throughout human history and she's, she's recounting, she's, she's magnifying, she's making his name great. She's, she's, She's filling up and, and, and telling us all of God's greatness. Through her, people are seeing the greatness of God on display as she, as she magnifies him. She becomes like that magnifying glass. It takes the greatness and says, look, remember God's faithfulness. And this is what she's doing in her song. And see, sure, church, we can't make God greater than he is. He is infinitely great. See, we are not the grade 10 biology student. We are observing that God created all things, the God who flung the planets into orbit with a simple word, that this is the God that we come before in all of his vastness and all of his brightness. And we catch, we catch glimpses of his greatness through his, through his word. And we worship him because he's worthy of our worship. And then we turn throughout our lives and conversations with others and we, we make him known 
to others. We become the ones who take all of his brightness and greatness and we magnify it for others. We who have tasted and seen that God is good, us who have experienced his kindness, we in turn make him great among the nations. We are like Mary. We are charged with this role of magnifying God to those around us. And that's what Mary does. She, she magnifies him. Verse 47 says also that her spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. See, Mary joins in the praise and adoration of God, specifically wanting to magnify and praise him because God is her Savior. Do you see that? My soul magnifies him. My spirit rejoices in God. How does she describe him? My Savior. See, we shouldn't be necessarily surprised by that, but it is worth noticing that, that Mary is just like one of us. She's a broken person who needs a savior. She's not sinless, as some falsely believe. And this knowledge that she needs a savior really does ruin any thoughts that we might have that maybe God chose Mary because Mary was a baller, right? Like God needed Mary on his team because she was awesome. And that's not what we see. Mary's broken, just like you and I. She needs a savior, which is great because that means God can use people like us. Broken people like, like you and me to accomplish his purposes, to magnify his name among, among those around us so they may taste and see that God is good. See, Mary is not the hero of this story. Jesus is. Jesus is the hero of every story. All of the Bible whispers his name. And, and Mary, as we'll see, she's played with brokenness and she'll demonstrate this later on in Jesus's life. Actually, in Mark chapter three, Mary, Mary thinks as Jesus walks around claiming to be sinless, claiming things like equality with God the Father, she and Jesus' brothers begin to think he's gotten a little, a little off. She goes to try to bring him back home and help him out a bit, right? She's not, she doesn't have all of her identity and understanding of who Jesus is firmly, firmly yet. She, she will, she, she will come to believe that Jesus is her God, King, and Savior, but that's going to be a process with her, right? And, and so, so like Mary, we, we can we can see him, we can love him, we can know him. But one thing we need to know is that she didn't have that neat category of Jesus in any spiritual sense of a savior yet. She has this idea of this coming king who will rule and reign over them, who will rescue them from Rome. But Jesus has come to defeat an enemy that is much larger than Rome. See, Jesus has come this first time by by humbly walking into defeating our oldest enemy and by setting us free from the bonds of sin. So Mary's soul and her spirit are magnifying and praising his God. Why? It tells us in verse 48, the first reason, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's just a poor, no-name girl. And from this point on, all generations are gonna call her blessed just like Elizabeth had already done. And then into verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. One author said this about this portion of scripture. 
If any one of us had been favored as the virgin was with the promise that we would be the parent of the savior, do you not think that we would feel exceedingly lifted up? It was natural that she would be proud, but it was gracious on her part that she was humble. Have you ever thought of that? Me either. (laughs) Me either. See, instead of magnifying herself, which is probably something I would do, because I'm broken, but Mary doesn't magnify herself. She magnifies God. Oh, and it's a great thing. Someone must be magnified for this. All of God's promises are coming true. Someone must be magnified for this. Nature would have said, Mary, magnify yourself. But grace, he said, leads Mary to magnify the Lord instead. And that's good. And so because of God's looking upon her humble estate, she praised God. When all this happens to her, when she's fearful or worried about things down the line, she need not look anywhere but up, firstly and foremostly. And she does that. She praises God, thanking him for his grace and his kindness towards her. God has been her savior and will continue to be so. But she doesn't stop there. She has another reason why she should thank God. So kind of the scene shifts from her thanking God for his kindness towards her. And then in verse 50, we see the second reason of why her, her soul magnifies God, why, why she praises him as her savior. And it's because, verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. See, Mary turns her attention away from focusing on God's generosity to her and begins to consider as she looks back through human history that God has always been generous to her people. Beginning with Adam, Seth, Noah, Abraham, down the line it goes. And she remembers what God has done for his people in a beautiful and poetic way. See, her song is one of the finest that we will see in this series of Songs of a Savior. Oh, it's the finest, I think. It alludes to several places all the way through Israel's history where we can see the strong arm of God provide for his people. In these next few verses, what we're going to see is it's like a rich mine of jewels and treasures. You could could spend days here, and you should, this week. Just hang out in verses 50 to 56, just recounting ways that you see this throughout God's word. For now, I'll simply glance over them and give you a few that I, I looked at and considered and prayed through this week. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. So think of Noah, the Philistines, Jericho. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. Think Egypt. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Think of Babylon, Persia. But also think of Hannah in 1 Samuel. And think of Israel herself being exalted out of a humble estate. 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Think of the exile, how they they plundered and they went into the wilderness and God filled them with hungry things, but the, the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Think of the book of Judges 
where Israel doesn't deserve to have God's, God's judges raise up and save them and liberate them. And yet over and over and over and over again, God is gracious. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, that's, that's basically all of the Old Testament. See, Mary's song is beautiful because it's a recognition of God's amazing grace extended to her, but also to the generations before her. The generations that died longing for the promised one to be revealed. And through today's scriptures, we've seen that God's savior, Jesus, God himself, God with us, our Emmanuel has indeed come as a lowly baby. And why has God come? Why did God move into the neighborhood? Why? He came to be the savior of the world, to save us from facing an eternity of judgment before God the Father because of our rebellion against him. For God the Father so loved the world that he sent Jesus, his only son into the world, that whoever believes upon Jesus shall not face God the Father's just judgment against them, but rather, but rather have everlasting or, or eternal life. See, sure, church, that is what's on the table. Forgiveness of sin. But why is, why is Jesus able to forgive sin? If we are indeed just like Mary, if we do need a savior, what makes us so sure? What makes us sure that Jesus can do that? Why is he able to forgive us? As, as one pastor has explained, the answer to this comes at the end of Jesus's life, not at the beginning. For in the end, we see why he came in the first place. There we see Jesus stripped naked, a prisoner, isolated and crucified outside of the city. We see Jesus look towards God the Father in the heavens and cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In short, church, that's the answer of why we can be forgiven. See, God the Son, Jesus, is able to forgive us even though we are grievous sinners against him because Jesus has exchanged places with us he took our place. He, though innocent, took our sin upon himself and became our substitute, paying for our sin. So we can stand before God the Father and be forgiven because he sent Jesus, God the Son, to lay humanity alongside of his divinity, to be born into this world, to grow up into manhood, to walk through every temptation that we have failed at. And having lived a life that is spotless and sinless before God the Father, Jesus then took upon himself our penalty and bore the judgment that we deserve to pay. See, he was born 
that we might be born again. He grew up that we may benefit from his righteous life lives in our place. He was stripped naked so that we could be clothed. He was killed on a cross so that we might have eternal life. He faced God the Father's wrath so that we might not have to. And he rose from the grave, conquering over sin and death to win for us victory and forgiveness. That's why this is a song of a savior who comes not to set up an earthly kingdom, but to rule over every kingdom that's ever existed and who one day will come and set up his kingdom here upon the earth, vanquishing all of his foes, righting every wrong, bringing forth justice and hope into this world desperately needs it. And if you're here considering Jesus and you wanna learn more about what we believe, that's the crux of it, that we can have forgiveness before God, not by, not by laboring for it or earning it, right? Like I, I tell my son all the time, God is not like Santa, right? Though he does know when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, but he doesn't expect you to be good for goodness sake. In fact, he knows that you can't be. And that's why Jesus came and was good in our place. So that we, by faith, look to his spotless record and not our own. So come to Jesus today. Receive pardon and comfort and peace from the Savior who has come. And sure, church, as we continue to walk through this Christmas season, I pray that these scriptures, which are divinely designed by God to remind you that he is faithful to accomplish all of his purposes and appoint us to his faithfulness throughout human history will be a constant companion. That as we think about, as we think about December 25th, that we will remember the savior that was born, how he lived and died and rose again. And that it will, it will produce this longing in our hearts for his second coming. It's not just a remembrance of what happened, but a remembrance of, to remind us of God's promises, just as he was faithful to his people for thousands of years and brought about the Savior, so too we have been waiting for thousands of years for him to come again. And the Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promises. Sure, church, he's coming soon and very soon. May it be today. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. So Father, we thank you for your faithfulness through your word that you are a God who speaks to us in and through it. We're thankful to have the opportunity even this morning to stop and to pause to think of, of your promises and how you're faithful. Father, I pray for those who are here who are, who are genuinely just considering Jesus. I pray that during this season, they would learn, they would learn much of who you are as we're, as we're studying these songs from a Savior, learning of how, you, of how you came to seek and to save us and to love us. And I, I pray for my brothers and sisters that, that we would be encouraged through your word to, to remember our great need for you and to, to longingly expect
you are coming. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.